Father, I just thank you for this man of God. I thank you for what you've put in him and what you want to release through him. We receive the gift of God that he is to us. Father, we ask your blessing on him. Anoint him as he shares this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Man, it's going to be good today. I... um. I've got so many notes, I'm scrolling through them right now, and it's taking a while, so it's going to be good. Um, so I want to I want to share a quick story with you before I kind of jump into the, to today's message, and I think this story, it's going to connect and weave in to what I feel like God is saying and doing right now in this city, and it's for us, and it's timely, and it's happening already. So I, I believe, even as I share this story, get ready for more of these. Um, the Lord is tenderizing people's hearts all throughout this city. I mean, we prayed it. If you, if, you, if you haven't come on Friday nights, you need to come Friday nights. And you, you just see, like, God puts the same word, different people's hearts, so you know it's him. And the word is these hearts are becoming tender. They're becoming flesh. Hearts of stone are becoming hearts of flesh. And it's happening, and, and we're not surprised by it because there is a great move of God that we're in the midst of now. There is a great harvest. There, there are many, many, many coming into the kingdom I mean, I'm talking millions, maybe even a billion. Like, they're coming into the kingdom of God. It's been prophesied and decreed time and time again for 30 or more years, probably more than that, hundreds of years. And we, we're in a unique moment in time. And so what I want to talk about today is, is understanding our, the narrative of God for your life. So there's an individual narrative and there's a corporate narrative. And both are important to understand. And, you know, so we've been, I, t- I spoke last month about this hearts becoming softened, you know, and I was really, man, I was feeling, feeling like there's something on that, and literally the Tuesday after I speak, I'm going, I'm walking down into the subway, and I'm at a random time, a time I normally don't go in the subway, it's like 9.30 or something, and I'm thinking of this man in my mind, he comes up in my mind, and it's this man named Steven, I haven't seen him in a while, and he's just, I'm on, he's on my, th- on my mind, and I go down in the subway, and you know how, like, it's a Tuesday and I haven't swiped my Metro card yet, so I swipe it and it's like, oh man, like my monthly is is up. So dang it. So and you you see like the the minutes now, it's like two minutes. So I go over to the you know swiper and I put it in and the buttons are sticky on the little like Metro card swiper thing, you know what I'm talking about? So I'm trying to put in my like, yeah, it's kinda gross, all right. It's like, why are these buttons sticky? Um, and I'm pushing like my zip code, right? And every time the zip code error comes up, because it doesn't match my card, because the one, like I can't push it, like or it pushes it 10 million times. So every time I try to swipe my, or I try to swipe my credit card, it rejects it. And the train comes up, and I'm just like, ah, you know, I think I even gave out maybe a little one of those. Um, I'm like, what is going on? So finally, I go to another machine, and I just do it. And now the next train's like seven minutes. I'm like, gosh, seven minutes. What am I gonna do with my life? <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sitting there worried about, you know, my seven minutes that I just lost. And Steven walks down the steps in the subway. I'm like, whoa, like I've never seen this guy here at this time. And, you know, there's moments, and I'll be honest, like we have these, you know, moments um, of divine connection, right? And I've missed some, and I'm sure you have too, where God has provoked you. But this one was just too obvious, right? I wasn't going to miss it. Like, it was too weird. So I, I ran after him on the subway. Like, hey, Stephen, hey. And uh, he was like, hey, what's going on, man? Like, and uh, I said, hey, like, I, it's so good to see you. Like, I, and I, I just start sharing something with him. Like, hey, how's your son doing? And, you know, he says, oh, he's having a hard time. He's 18. I'm like, hey, when I was 18, Jesus rocked my life. Like, here's what he did. And so it was just an easy segue. And he's like, whoa. He said, you know what? When I was 19, Jesus did that something to me. And I said, well, why don't you tell me about it? So I'm sitting there on the subway with this guy for about 30, 45 minutes. I'll make it really brief. He tells me this wild story of literally he's in an ambulance, like probably about to die. Like he's having a, he's right on the verge of like having a heart attack. His body is completely numb. And this light beam comes into, he's praying to God. He doesn't really know God, but he's praying like, God, like, what's going on? I'm terrified. My family's terrified. This light beam shows up in the ambulance. He said no other light was there but this beam. And it comes down, and it's, it's freaking him out. I think he's tripping out because he sees this light coming in his body. It enters into his body, and it actually, he said he, he, he realized his heart was cold. He realized his body was cold. And this beam of light 
the spirit of God comes in and it starts touching every organ is how he described it. His heart, his lungs, moving through his body and like and heating up his insides. And so so literally his he looks at his mom, his mom looks relieved. He's like, Whoa, this is something something is changing in me. And they go to the to the um, ER and they say, We've never seen anything like this. We you we don't know how you didn't have a heart attack. Your your numbers are off the charts. Three hundred plus over two hundred plus your blood blood pressure. We've never seen anybody with these numbers that whose heart hasn't like exploded. Um, I might be getting a technical term wrong, but you get my drift. <laughs> so, so anyway, he, he he's he's sharing this story with me, and I'm realizing he thinks this is just a physical thing that happened to him, and it's this touchy moment with the Lord. He doesn't realize that there's way more connected to this. That God is after his heart. And that, in fact, there's a spiritual component to this physical thing he's experienced. And I believe the Lord wanted to awaken that in him now. So I'm kind of feeling all this, but he's got to run off to work and he jumps on the next train. Um, but in my mind, I'm like, okay, I know all this is true. So I'm, I'm like writing it down. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. So I think it was, was it this week I hop on the train and there he is. Like, He's like, there. You know, I didn't think of him this time, but there he was. So I went and I talked to him. And I said, hey, here's what that physical thing that happened when you were 18, here's what it means now. Here's a calling on your life now. Here's what God's doing now. And I just dissected the whole thing for him, and, and it awoke something in him. You could see a shift where it's like I'm, I'm in this, I don't have purpose or, or, or understanding, focus in my life. I'm just kind of going through the motions, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, like God wants to, is knocking on the door of your heart, man. And what he did in the physical, it's actually happening in the spirit realm. You just got to agree with it. You just got to say yes. And so, so he received that. I connected him with a, actually a, a church near where I live, and um, we'll see. Hopefully he, he, takes, he takes me up on it. But God's moving, and, and I could see, you know, I could see in his face. You should see in his face just that light come on. And lights are coming on for people. So, so anyway, that's, that's the narrative of what's happening now, and it's happening in our city. And be prepared. Hearts that you thought were so stone cold, you're going to show up with them, and all of a sudden you're like, how are they so open? Like, their heart is wide open. I could drive a, a dump truck through this person's heart. Why is their heart open? And all you have to do is show up and, and share the love of Jesus. Just be, be open and honest with your faith. Be open and honest with what God gives you to say. Their hearts are open. You just got to share and be faithful to what God tells you to say and what he tells you to do. So that's what's happening right now. Um, Narrative. So I want to talk today about narrative. So there's some interesting passages that I'm going to I'm going to go through a lot today. So hang with me. One of them is Luke 2, 28 through 35. I'm going to read that one right now. This is the narrative that was given to define Jesus and his life and what he was bringing. So I'm going to talk about the narrative of Jesus and the initial prophetic words regarding Jesus. And then I'm going to talk about Paul. And I'm primarily going to focus on Paul, the narrative that was given to Paul for his life, his ministry. So and both of these narratives come very early on in their life, very early on in their ministry. And and I hope as I'm reading these, I want you to begin thinking now, I'm preparing you, about your narrative in God. What's God spoken to you? What's the narrative of your life that he's given you? And so that's where we're going here. So Luke 2, verse 28. And this, there's a man named Simeon. So Simeon is an old, you, you, can, you can read all the backstory. I'm just going to hop right in. Simeon's an older guy. He's there in the, in the temple. And he was there when Jesus comes. He, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. So he saw that over Jesus, right? And he said, my gosh, this is the light to reveal God to the nations. And he's the glory of the people of Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Can you imagine being Mary receiving that word? I mean, what a word. Like, and there's so many components to it. Destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many to rise. A sign from God, but many will oppose him. But the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So Jesus, he, he's cutting through, he's revealing things, his, his life. He's coming, it says he fulfilled 
and he and the the Old Testament, like he actually unlocked like we understanding that we did not have previous. He comes on the scene and everything shifts. And this is what we build our life on is Jesus, the resurrection, his death, his burial, and that we've been co-raised, co-crucified with him. And we now have new life. Everything shifts when Jesus comes on the scene. He is the crux. He is the, what the whole Bible is about. You read every chapter. It's about Jesus. So this is a pivotal moment here. And but interesting that she, he says he, many will oppose him. Your your a sword will pierce your soul. There's there's challenging words that are that are connected to the life narrative of Jesus. And you may have some of those in your own life. People spoke things that are really awesome and powerful, but at the same time, they may have warned you about other challenges that are coming forth. So it's important that we hold both of those. So you'll see this theme all throughout Scripture, and there's certain prophetic words. But for people, there's, there's an amazing truth, and there's also a really challenging oppositional thing that the prophetic is helping you to prepare for. Is that interesting? So let's look, Acts 9, verse 11. Acts 9, verse, starting at verse 11. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. Now the Lord's speaking to Ananias, who is a man of God, um, who is, he's calling him to actually speak into the life of Paul the Apostle. This is when Paul was named Saul. So just a little backstory: Saul is riding his horse to Damascus. He's going to go persecute some more Christians because he can't stand them. He gets knocked off his horse. Jesus shows up. He becomes blinded, and now he's on his way to Tart. Um, he's on his way to Damascus, and Ananias is at Damascus, and here's what the Lord says to him. Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. It's funny that he's saying this to the Lord. It's like <laughs> and he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So Paul is called to bear his name before he says it already here. The Gentiles is the first, the first people group he names kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake such an interesting second line right first line so powerful he's called to the Gentiles and if you read the life of Paul you see that calling all throughout and he doesn't leave that calling he doesn't leave that narrative that was spoken to him right from the beginning of his conversion he does not sway from that narrative he knows that's what God's called him to do but the second part is equally important, for I will show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. So my personal narrative, those are, this is the narrative of Jesus and Paul and how he started. My personal narrative, even coming for me to New York, I did not realize what I was getting myself into. I, I thought I was coming here to help my wife in her career, and I was just kind of do some side thing, and you know, I never wanted to be in a city. I never felt called to a city. The Lord shifted and stirred my heart maybe like six months before I, and then I lost my job and we got married and everything shifted in a moment. So, but my narrative is when I came into this city, I started going to this house of prayer. It was, it was in a small, tiny place. Like Will last week or Will Hart a few weeks ago was like, who was in the tiny room? I thought that was so funny. Who remembers the tiny room? When we used to meet in a little tiny room. Um, so in that tiny room, God would give me personally so many visuals and downloads of the revival that he wants to bring into the city. Like, I'd never seen things like that. I'd never really been around a house of prayer. So after 30 minutes, I would get bored. But then as we kept going, and then I would start seeing things. I'm like, wow, I'm not so bored anymore. I'm actually getting stuff. I should tarry a bit more. I encourage some of you. If you're like, why do these people go so long? Just tarry. God, is, he'll give you more downloads in the time of prayer and worship than you could get trying to force it through the Bible. Like, we want to read the Bible, but I'm telling you, he'll give you downloads in the Bible when you're in a time of prayer and worship. It's so important that we tarry. And even the conference last week, there was moments where it's just like, there's no ministry time. It's just tarry, 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 because the Holy Spirit is ministering. And that's what we're after. We want God. We want the living God. So where was I going? Oh, my narrative. So the Lord's given me these downloads, right? And the Lord showed me he's, before I left for New York. He said, you're going to meet a crazy man of God in New York City. You're going to meet this man of God that's the wildest you've ever met. And he's gonna sh it, things are going to shift for you. So I'm looking for this man. Like, where is he? 
Is that him? That guy's kind of crazy. Ah, he's a little too crazy. I don't know about him. Maybe this guy. So maybe a year in, the Lord's like, have you found the man? And I was like, no, where is he? Am I missing it? And he said, look at yourself. You are the man. You are the man. You're, you're going to discover something in you by being in this place, by being in this company. Something's going to come out of you. And this is like a year in. I'm like, whoa, that's not the interpretation I was expecting. <laughs> but it was exciting. It was, you know. Um, so I'm getting these words, right? And this is and part of the narrative that I got too. And this, I, get, I get this over and over and over again. And hear me when I say this. I get this over and I get this word so many times. Get underneath Bill and Tammy, Sal and Jules. You get underneath what they're doing. You, you, you run with what they're, what's on their heart. That's what you do. Like, that's my part of my narrative. And I know the Lord said it to me. The Lord can say a lot. There's lots of things. Even as you think about your own narrative, there's probably things that you're like, I don't know. I don't know. This feels good. But there's certain things that you know that you know that you know. And that's what I'm talking about from your narrative. So there's certain things you can build on because you know the Lord has said it. And it's so confirmed that you won't be shaken from those words. And it's built on scripture, too. It's built on truth. So hear me there. It's built on truth. So what the Lord spoke to me was, you get under Sal and Jules, Bill and Tammy, and you don't quit until you see what they're believing for come forth. You don't quit. So that has stuck with me, and that's part of my narrative. And you each have your own. So some of you, I I, I know a lot of you, and, and some of you came here, and you had these, you knew you were called to be a missionary, but you didn't realize you were called to be a missionary in the marketplace. You're like, you had this missionary call, and some of you may travel the world and, like, do all these things. Then God said, go to New York, and you think, and, and you don't know why you're fully here. And maybe you're in a job that you still don't fully understand why, but you know you're called to be a missionary here. And, and even this message that we've been hitting on about, like, marketplace missionaries, people that they're, they're, they're called to shift things in the culture, to shift things in their industry. They're called to pray and worship in their office and bring heaven down and bring change there. That's the ministry. And, and there's a, it's a paradigm shift for, for many different people. But if that's your narrative, that's a good narrative. That is a good narrative. It's, it's not a second-tier narrative. It, like, ministry, ministry happens in those places. And I honestly, I, I thought that was my personal narrative. Like, that's what I was going after for seven years. And then God said, no, you need to actually be here in the house. And I was like, but this is the narrative. Like, no, I'm changed. So he may shift things, too. I'm not saying lock in to certain narratives, but you want to know the big overarching picture of what God's called you and what he's called you to. Because if you don't, you're going to fall into all sorts of things that are going to shift your narrative and you're going to get distracted, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to get depressed because you don't know what you're doing or why you are where you are. And the Lord wants to bring clarity. And I believe today what what I really want to lay out is is a strategy and, and some key components that I know of to stay in the narrative that God's given you. Number one, and this is by far the number one, stay in love with Jesus. If you want to stay in your narrative, you've got to remain in love with the Lord. That means setting aside time with him. That means making, that means praying and putting him first when you don't feel like it, when you, when you, when you don't, when everything in you is, when you're not hearing God or feeling God, Lord, I, I don't hear you or feel you, but I, I know you love me, and, and I'm going to pursue you with all my heart, and I'm going to you know, and I know I messed up and I did these things this past week, but I know that, you know, you're for me, not against me. And, and so th- this practice of just keep coming back to the Lord, even when you don't feel worthy, even when you feel shame, he's not shaming or guilting you. He, this openness to the Lord is, is critical. This love relationship with God, it's everything. It is everything. And you got to protect it that way. Protect it like your life depends on it because it might. So I was with, I was in my house last night, um, and man, we had like a, a Holy Holy Ghost party, and I didn't even know it was coming. So some of you are like, what does that mean? Um, so I was with my, my kids, and they were like performing. They'd like to perform and run and dance. You see them here. I have a two and a four-year-old. And literally, my daughter, uh, Fern, starts prophesying, and she goes from dance performance to like Holy Spirit party. Like, she just goes in, and she's been doing this since she was two years old. She just starts praying all these things for, for New York. She says, the Spirit's going to pour out in the ashes of New York. I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> How do you even know the word ashes? That's kind of weird. But she starts praying all this stuff, and I'm trying to like, write it all down. And, um, and she is like just prophesying all over the place and encouraging and leading at four years old. And 
she starts saying to me, she says, all right, everybody, go over here and draw two circles on the ground. I'm like, what is this, some sort of weird prophetic game? Okay. So I draw two circles. She's like, now put them on your eyes. So we, you know, have them on my eyes. And then she's like, now put them up at Jesus. <laughs> so we all put them up. And she's like, it's so easy. Just focus on him. It's so easy. You can even do it at home. That's what she says. I kid you not. She told me this. My wife will vouch for this. I'm not making this up. Just focus on him. Focus on him. And she's like, oh, let's just all take a break and just rest in the love of Jesus. Let's just, let's just take a break and rest in his love. I mean, it was the craziest thing. She said, she had us all get in a circle, and she's like, now everybody pray after me. Please, Lord, fill us up. That's what she had me pray. It was the craziest thing. So we, gotta, we have to get our eyes on Jesus and keep him there and know that that's our lifeline, that it's, and it, it is so simple. And it, what we model here in this communion that we have here corporately is to be done at home, is to be done in your workplace. And you may need to work a little harder. You may need to work through some stuff in your heart to worship the Lord in your workplace, but it's so key that you do. It'll keep you on narrative. It'll keep you on narrative. When you worship, worship keeps you on narrative. It really does. It softens things in you. And I know where, you, where your heart can be the hardest at is where you need to worship the most. So if you go to work and you're like, man, there's strongholds here, you go and you worship there. Like, don't speak that over your work. You go and you tear those things down, and you do it through worship. Um, so other things that can take you off narrative, and this is, all, this is all under the covering of you need to be in love with Jesus. That's number one key. Pursuit of temporal desires and pleasures will take you off narrative. When you're in love with Jesus, you, these things don't they, don't, they don't get in the way. John 6, I'm going to read this quickly, verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, real quick, we're talking about him feeding the 5,000. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and afterward he's gone. He's moved somewhere else, and the people are following him. And Jesus reads their mail. Here's what he says. When they found him on the other side of the sea, and he said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Isn't that so good? God the Father set his seal on him. You got your bellies filled with a bunch of bread, and that's what you're coming after. You're missing the sign. You didn't see the sign. I'm pointing you to a continual feast that you can have in me. And when we're not in love with Jesus or not in that place of communion with him, we start, we come even into the house of God, and we start like, we, we start like desiring things that aren't even, that are the lower level things. Instead of desiring the man, Jesus, instead of desiring that relationship, that connection with him, that is what we should be desiring. That is what, and, and that's what's going to sustain us. So even in, even in a place of worship, like we can go after things that aren't truly satisfying. Isn't that interesting? It's like we can, there's a lot to unpack there, but I, but I feel like, I mean, you can apply that anywhere in your life, right? If you're going after fame or you're going after a certain uh, money or any of these things, like they're temporal pleasures. They're temporally satisfying, but they're not really what you're designed to run off of. They're not the fuel that's supposed to make you run. And so when you run into those things and you feel empty and broken, it's like, God, like, what am I missing? You might be missing that communion with the living God. I got rebuked recently by a good, uh, my former mentor who I called, and I was calling him. I was like, oh, I'm trying to figure out this thing. I want the, like, the wisdom of the Lord for this. And he was like, he's like, why are you calling me? Go get in your secret place. He's like, why are you calling me asking for wisdom? You have it in Jesus. I mean, he totally, I was like, dude, you're supposed to help me out. And <laughs> he's like, no, here's, the, here's what's helping you out. You need to get in a quiet place and get it from the Lord. And so it's not a call to be con disconnected from community, but it's a call to know where the bread of life is. Jesus is your bread. He's your daily communion. He's essential to everything. And you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ. In Christ. So when Jesus is not first in our life, we get satisfied with lesser things, with things that aren't, that aren't, that aren't as important. And they take us off narrative. They totally take you off narrative. So I want to encourage you, if there's things in your heart, even, even things you've been listening to or doing, that you're not feeling the fruit of, they could be off-narrative things. 
right, instead of going to him. So maybe instead of listening to that extra podcast, the Lord's saying, no, be with me in this time. And maybe on your commute, like there's something you can do and shift that's actually going to b- give you that life because he is the way, the truth, and the life. These things aren't life-giving. We have to see them for what they are and not be shamed or in condemnation, but say, God, I want the bread of life. I want you. Other things that take us off narrative is the fear of man. I mean, the fear of man will totally take you off narrative. Um, so Saul, you know, in, in, first, in first Samuel 13, Saul's approaching, the, or the Philistines are approaching. Saul's freaking out because you got the Philistines coming. His people are scattering. And Samuel's g- given him certain directions. He's going to come. He's going to uh, bring the offering. And Saul gets afraid of what people are going to think or afraid that he can't fight the battle, the thing that's about to. And he, he jumps ahead of what God has ordained. So instead of fearing God and what God has set up, he says, you know what? I'm more afraid of the Philistines. I'm more afraid of losing my people. I'm going to just do this offering myself. I'm going to do this sacrifice. And what he does is he loses his whole kingdom. He, lo- he, he gets totally off narrative, and he throws off the th- all the things that God's blessed him with, all the things that God's called him to steward. That is the last thing I want for myself or for any of you. And, and so we have to look at that soberly and say, okay, like what, are, the, what are, are there men and women in my life that I'm afraid of, that I'm capitulating to, that I'm building my, my life around their desires for me instead of God's desires for me? Because that's taking you off narrative. And, I mean, how many of us have bosses or family members that put pressure on us, that don't understand uh, the love that we have for Jesus, that maybe ask us to do things that are outside of the righteousness in Christ, that are, that are unholy, that are unpure, that are, that are just, like, off. And we, ha- we have to fear God more than we fear their disappointment for us. And I think that's such, a, it's such, a po- such an important concept here in New York as, as you're dealing with some, I mean, you're dealing with some crazy people. Let's be honest. We, we speak life and blessing over them, but there's some crazy people in this city, and they want to manipulate and intimidate you, and even it's not even them sometimes. It's the spirit behind them, and we cannot bow to that. No way. Like, we, we have to be so much more in love with Jesus than we are with this person's perception of us. That is, it's critical. Colossians 3, 23. You can wield, here's a word you can wield when you're in the office and you're feeling, feeling pressure and, you, and you're not sure what to do. Um, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. God, thank you. I'm showing up today and what I'm doing is not for these people around me. I'm going to honor and bless them. I'm not going to curse them, but it's not for them. It's for you. And when I live, when you live that way, the gospel is going to go forth in your office. It's going to be way easier than you think because you're operating in a totally different way. This person's not afraid of me. This person's not intimidated by me and they're loving me in a strange way, even though I'm trying to curse them and mess with them. Like, that's weird, you know? I've had people, anyway, I've got some stories on that. Um, I'm going to keep going. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. I'll read it one more time. And for whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Man, some of you need to hear that word because you got got annoying people or like challenging situations and you've lost the ability to do it heartily. And the Lord's saying, even if they're annoying you and even if you can't stand them, do it for me. Like, it doesn't matter. It, the, w- their, their perception and what their environment they're creating, it doesn't matter. It's on to the Lord. And why? Because you receive a reward. You'll be blessed. That's a pretty good deal. Um, you'll be blessed for you serve the Lord Jesus. So the fear of man, it destroys our focus. And the fear of man, it wears us out. We get drained for things that shouldn't drain us. Like, and if, if you rebuke, you know, those things that are coming your way and you stand for truth, watch how your energy levels will start rising. You go in way more excited because you're actually taking a stand for Jesus and you're loving people in the midst of tough situations. Work gets fun. I don't care what you do. It gets fun when you're doing it with the Lord. And I'm not saying your job is going to all of a sudden become fun. I'm saying your spirit is going to become happy and joyful and excited because you're taking on darkness. You're not doing spreadsheets. You're, you're bringing down principalities. That's way better than, you know, you can still do your spreadsheets. You can do them both. So the Lord says there's rewards. Living for the eternal keeps us on narrative. When you know the eternal rewards, the things that God is, is giving you through your service to him, the things that you're investing in that others can't see, when you know that, you've got a lot more ability to be present. You've got a lot more ability to love. You, you can run this race. You can stay on narrative. 
when you know the eternal rewards. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11. This is Paul writing. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see those words, they're dripping with the love of Jesus. He's consumed with the love of Jesus, and it doesn't matter what he faces. He knows why he's there, and, and he's there to lift up Jesus. Until, even if they take his death from him or take his life from him, and they did, he's there. I count all things for the sake of loss compared to knowing Jesus. And part of the, the, the context of this is he's also a man that was under the law, and he was wor- trying to work for the things of God, and he realized, my gosh, by grace through faith, I am saved. It's not based on my works. Like, I don't have to work for the Lord. I can actually, I count all of that loss compared to just knowing him receiving his grace by faith. You know, I feel like we were really, we were made to persevere. We were made to sacrifice. Like, some of those things feel, are, are, seem so unnatural, right? But, like, there's something when we start living that way, it awakens us. Like, it excites us because it's how God made us to lay down the temporal things to pursue the eternal rewards. I mean, most movies and just, like, great storylines, right, are people that have endured great sacrifice and pain, and they've, over, they've overcome. We love those movies because that's what, how God made us. And so it gives us life when we can see the eternal things and we can push through um, and, and receive those things instead of getting caught up in the minutiae of life. So Paul, he, pr- he, he writes this in Philippians, and in Acts, I want to show you where he lives this, this out, right? So this is Acts 20, and I'm going to start at verse uh, 22. He says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He doesn't know what's ahead of him, but he says he's bound by the Spirit. He's so caught up in what God's doing, his love for the Lord, that he's bound to go and do things that humanly we wouldn't, be inclined to do it because his love for Jesus, understanding of his calling of his, of, to share the good news of the wonderful grace of God, he will go anywhere. He will do anything. And there's so many people on the earth right now that are living that, and there's, there's many in this room that you're, you're living that, you're feeling that call, and the Lord's taking you to another level. Like he's really taking things up a notch. And I'm, really, I'm saying that prophetically because I believe we're in a place of amazing outpour and a, and a place of surrender is needed for greater measures. So I believe, that, I believe there is a great outpouring of God that we're in and that's coming, but our level of surrender and preparation will determine how massive it really is. I really believe that God will sovereignly pour out, but how many fish we can take in, how many people will encounter the Lord, how, how far we'll go with God and our purpose, our narrative, is dependent on how we respond to him, how we say yes to what he's doing. And I love Paul because he said yes, man, he was, he was all in. And he endured a lot of suffering. I mean, I won't go through the list of his suffering, but he endured things that can take people off narrative. People rejecting you. People, people stabbing you in the back. Some of the, you know, his friends all of a sudden start speaking against his ministry. People that couldn't handle the, the level of stigma that Paul had. I mean, he's in jail. He's in prison. He's preaching like, you know, all this victorious you know, um, eschatology and that, you know, we're, we're, we're great in God. And here he is in prison in like a cistern, like in jail. And they're like, people couldn't handle his own friends, deserted him. Um, so we're talking about a level of stigma and disappointment that it would take you out. But he loved Jesus more than life. He loved Jesus more than life. So he didn't get taken out of his narrative. He was true to the end for what God had given him. And he stewarded well. So the love for Christ, it really wars against this selfishness, which is, it's sometimes, you know, selfishness in our culture sometimes referred to as common sense. Isn't that interesting? 
sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, of course, like, you preserve self. Like, you know, uh, of course you would make that decision because it's in your best interest. Well, what's in God's interest? What, is, what does he want? What is he desiring? I mean, selfishness is, there's this whole, it's become a norm in society. Like, selfish ambition is something that we reward people for doing. That's awesome that you're like a self-made person. That's amazing. And certainly hard work is to be, reward, is, is honorable. But doing things by yourself and doing things for yourself is not the kingdom of God. <laughs> that's, that's not the kingdom we live in, and we know better. Because we're in love with a God who showed us that he came not to be served, but to serve. To lay his life down as a ransom for many. That's the God that we're in relationship with. So when we're in love with Jesus, those things, they don't get so caught up in our doctrine, caught up in our thought process. The things of the world, they don't get mixed up when you're with Jesus because the Holy Spirit will highlight them to you. And then you just repent and you move on instead of those things tripping you up. And selfishness is one of the things that can take us off narrative for sure. Acts 21, verse 11. This is a continuation of what I was talking about with Paul. Um, so Paul is, he's going around traveling different ministries he knows he's supposed to go to Jerusalem. He's felt this for some time. Now everybody starts prophesying to him that it's going to be trouble when he goes. And, and that's what the context of Acts 21. It's 21, 11. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt. So this is this prophetic guy. Um, bound it, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt. And deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That's a tough word. I never gotten that one on Friday nights. Nobody had done that one to me yet. <laughs> so Paul, this, Paul owns the belt. He says, whoever owns it, it's going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles in Jerusalem. Now, when he heard these things, when we heard these things, both we and those that from the place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem, Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So he would not be persuaded. We cease saying the will of the Lord be done. So he believes the prophetic word. <laughs> he just has a different interpretation. Isn't that interesting? Why does he have a different interpretation? He knows his narrative. Much suffering is coming to you, Paul. He's not afraid of suffering, and he actually can better discern the prophetic because he knows his narrative. Isn't that good? We're a prophetic company here. We're, we're, we're growing in understanding of how to, how to properly steward those words, how to give them and receive them. But it's so interesting that you can have the right word but the wrong interpretation, but to know it is to know the heart of God and to know your narrative. And the person giving it may have no clue. And that's, it's really not on them. It's on you. <laughs> it's on you to know how to process and steward that word. So don't blame the prophet if you misinterpret the word. Now blame them if they're dead wrong. Yeah, do it. Come talk to me about it. I'm like, oh, okay, we got to talk about that. But because uh, <laughs> we want good accountability. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, so I'm not saying you can discredit everything, but I am saying that he knew his narrative, and so he knew how to process the word. You know, I'm still on point number one. <laughs> I'm going to go to point number two. Um, these last two are quicker. Um, so point number one, keep you on narrative. How do you stay on narrative? You know the love of Jesus. You stay connected to the love of Jesus. Stay connected to him. Point number two, there's only three points. Allow the word of God to cut you. You want to stay on narrative, you got to allow the word of God to cut you. What do I mean by that? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper. Here's the cutting part. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did with those, uh, those people that came to him? He discerned the intent of their heart. They just wanted more bread. They didn't actually want Jesus. He discerned it. The word of God cuts through. It cuts through. And, and as you read the word, it will cut through things in your heart 
and it's a good cutting. You want to get cut by the word of God. It's the one thing you, I don't want a paper cut, but I want to be cut by the word. The sword of the spirit, you want, you want that type of cutting because it's going to produce life and it's going to, it's going to bring you into a greater understanding of yourself, but a greater measure of freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So when you read the word, expect God to, to cut you, expect something to shift in you or to be challenged in a, in a beautifully loving way because that's how he works. He doesn't condemn or, or yell at you, but he challenges you. And when you read the word, it can also give you great discernment for the things that you're facing. So recently I had somebody come at me, and it was, it was pretty intense, some of the things they were telling me. And I was trying to figure out how to, I was feeling like, oh, did I do that? Like, I'm trying to discern what's going on. And I'm reading um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4, and that verse talks about the need to, or talks about those that are just really for, Dis- they're about dissension and strife, and they're not about lifting up Jesus. And as I'm reading this, this, the Spirit of God comes and really speaks to me strongly. That's what this person was operating in. Don't spend any of your time worrying about what they're saying. Move on. Move on. So there's people that are going to speak or say things to you that when you read the Word, when you pray too, but when you read the Word as well, God will use the things in Scripture to reveal what's the Spirit behind that person, what's happening. And that way you don't spend all your time feeling bad or thinking, oh, man, I should have done this, should have done that. God's like, no, this is what's going on. You need to, like, let that thing go and focus on the narrative I've given you. That's not a part of your narrative. Let it go. So you're going to get criticisms and you're going to get things that come your way, and the Word of God will help you walk through and decipher that. And sometimes we just, we, we may think of asking somebody or bringing it into prayer, but also think about bringing it to the Word. Just reading the Word and watch God speak to you through His Word. It's so good. John 6, verse 61. The context of this is Jesus telling them, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to follow me. That's, that's a weird word that they didn't understand what to do with, right? So they got offended. Um, and John 6, verse 61 says, when Jesus knew in himself that the disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. The word of God and the words that Jesus, they're spirit and life. But it's up to us to believe that word. It's up to us. We decide how we want to process it. So it is spirit and life. You can't thwart that. This, the word of God is spirit and life. It is truth. But how you receive it is up to you. And, and do you believe it? I got this picture of, um, actually, I'll read this scripture real quick, um, and then I'm going to tell you this picture I got. 2 Timothy, verse 3. This is also in the same stream of thought. All scripture is God, is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, or woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's an equipping for every good work that comes through the scriptures. And it's all God-inspired. And what's it profitable for? For doctrine, for understanding what you believe. And many of us, I think, go to the Bible for that. For instruction and righteousness. That's kind of a common thing we go to the Bible for. For reproof. How many of us go in the Bible and say, God, reprove me. (laughs) Correct me. Show me where I need to be corrected. That's in the same scripture. (laughs) For reproof and correction. So we need all four. Like, in the, the Word of God does that when you open the Word up. When you, even if you don't feel it, it will, it will speak into your life because the Spirit of God is in the Word, and it's on the Word, and it will speak into your heart. So I exhort you, open up your Bible and let it just speak to you. Come in with both eyes open. Both eyes open. So I, I, I got this picture the other day of, like, one eye shut, and I think sometimes we can do that with the Scriptures. Right? We, we can come in with an agenda or a thought of what we want from the Bible, or we can just come in saying, hey, there's certain things I'm just not going to read in the Bible. So we read it all, but we got one eye shut, and, and, and we're not taking in parts of it. You know what I mean? So I looked it up, and I was like, well, what happens if you have one eye shut? Like, how does that work? Um, and when you have one eye closed, it, I read about, like, when you, like, drivers, you know? And when you're driving and you have, you have an injured eye, you can only see out of one eye, you really... I mean, your, your ability to see, you can't see what's coming at you, 
Like you, there's hazards that are around you that you're just unaware of because you only have one eye because you can't fully see the full picture. And I really believe that that's how we can be with scripture sometimes or there's things that we just don't want to receive or we don't, we don't want to look at and then we wonder why things come and hit some, why some truck just came and hit us. Like why did my car just get hit? It's because you're only looking at the scripture with one eye. You're missing these other parts that you don't want to look at. And it actually says that when you close that one eye, I actually, I tested this. This, this is a fact. If you close one eye, your nose gets in the way of everything else on this side. <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. But I, I did it in my house. I was like, kind of funny. I'm like, is that true? Yeah, I can see my, my nose is all I can see. Um, so there's a blind spot that comes as well when you have one eye. You can't see past your nose. And there's something that we, we stumble on ourselves and our own pride and it, when, when we can't read the word for what it is. And I believe there's, there's lots of different ways you could apply that. You could apply it to certain, you know, even in the gift of healing, the gifts of the spirit, right? Certain people don't want, they haven't seen that. They don't understand that God heals. And so they don't want to, somehow they, they cut that out when they read it. And they don't see that God actually wants to use you to heal. And, 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 and that the gifts are still in operation. They don't see it. But, you know, you can also apply that to, to other things. So one, tr- one trend that I've seen um, and I'd say, I don't know where this is, I'd say maybe it's more prevalent in the charismatic church, but we, we get so good at knowing the scriptures about our identity, and we should know the scriptures about our identity. We should know who we are in Christ. That changed my whole life. Knowing that I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and that now I'm set free from the power of sin. That's a massive understanding. But we read those scriptures, and sometimes we become uh, almost these, in our minds, these superheroes. Like, I call it, I coined a word for it. I think it's, I'll call it Superman, like, um, theology. We have this Superman theology where it's like, we know who we are in Christ, and all of it, what we believe is true about who we are, that we're a royal priest, that we, we, walk in, we walk in great power, that we're overcomers in Christ, that sin has no power over us in Christ. All that's 100% true. But in the same breath, you got to know where you came from. you got to know that you live in a sinful and broken wor- world. And that there's temptations lurking in you that want to take you out. So in a sense, you are a super, you are made super by the spirit, but it's by the spirit. You're so dependent on God. And the second you stop being in that quiet place with him or connecting with him, you are so susceptible to all sorts of nonsense. That's not your nature. That's not who you are now, but you are susceptible. And I think that has been somehow disconnected a bit because maybe we've had our eye closed. We don't want to see it. And, and if you don't want to see it, sometimes you'll have sin in your life. And you'll think, oh, you just say, oh, that's not who I am in Christ. I'm not that way, which is true. But if you're not being true to the sin that you're dealing with and you are allowing it to take home in your heart, you're doing yourself a lot of destruction. And we as brothers and sisters have to be okay calling it out and saying, hey, this sin is not who you are, but it is in your life. And, and you got you to rid of it. Don't blame it on somebody else. You, you, you live in a fallen, broken world. And so I'm going to read this verse to you, and I think it will encapsulate what I'm saying. It's First uh, Peter chapter 2, and it starts at verse 9. And I love, this is like quoted so much, this, this first part of the verse, and it's so powerful. So when I, when I read this to you, just receive it. It's who you are. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All that's 100% true. Listen to this next part. Who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. Remember who you used to be, but you're not now. Who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. You've got to remember where you came from. You've got to remember how dependent you are on Jesus. <coughs> Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good work. It, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. That second part is so key, and it's connected to the first. And you know what? I didn't even know that was in there, but the Lord told me, go to First Peter and look at the context. I didn't even know that was in there. I'm like, whoa, it is interconnected. You've got to know who you are, but also know where you came from and what you're susceptible to. And that doesn't mean that you, you dial down the identity. You up the identity. I'm... I am a royal priesthood. I am a, I'm a chosen generation. I am a holy nation. I'm God's special person. That's who I am. But at the same time, 
it says abstain from fleshly lust. There's a war against your soul. I'm aware of the attacks that are going to try to take me down because God wants to use me in such a great way. I am aware, and I am vigilant, and I am not acting like some Superman. I'm so dependent on Jesus every day, and he's made me a new creation. So I'm going to get to point three. I'm going to have to skip some. I've got a lot here. Um, oh, I'm going to say this real quick, and I'm going to get to point three. How do you know that you may be reading the scriptures with one eye shut? Some of you already know. You're like, oh, man, that's me. And then I'm, I'm telling you, like, I, I know God cut in my heart recently. I got cut, and, and the Lord cut me in an area of pride and in the area of basically the Lord said, as I'm, I forget what scripture I was reading. Oh, the foolish things shame the wise, and, like, you know, the, um, what's the scripture? Um, It'll come in, not by might, not by strength, by my spirit, says the Lord. Those scriptures cut me so, and the Lord said to me really clear in my mind, you are acting like a humanist. You're acting like everything's dependent on you. Instead of praying, you're trying to do things that you should be praying for. You know you can do them. You know you can get a certain outcome, but you are acting like a humanist, like it's all dependent on you. And the Lord actually showed me where that came into my life. There's certain in my workspace even where I used to work, um, there was certain these ideologies that I had let in, and they kind of crept in, and it just kind of sat there, and I'd operate out of these false ideas, this false theology that was of the world, not of God, and the Lord cut me, and it was really good. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I can pray more, and I can, like, trust you more and not try to do everything on my own. Like, so I'm telling you, if you're here, you probably, there's somewhere in your life where you're blind, and you're reading the Bible with one eye open and one eye closed. So here's a few ways you can, you can uh, discern that. Um, it's hard to embrace trials and struggles, and you feel like you need to give up. If you, when you encounter trials and struggles and you just want to give up, you may be looking just through one eye through Scripture because trials and struggles, they're going to come. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that healing is what, or that sickness is something we should say, bring it on. No way. Like, that's not, that's not ours in Christ. But there's other trials, other struggles and persecutions we should expect. It shouldn't throw us. It shouldn't throw our narrative when those happen. When things don't happen the way you want them to, you are quick to blame God or to blame others. There's another one. I got a bunch more. It's hard to not cut off people when disagreements come. That's a big one. When you disagree with somebody, you're just quick to cut them off. You're quick to let them go, especially in the church. If the narrative is we're all going to see this big outpouring, we're doing it together, why are we so quick to separate from people that we don't like or say things that are silly. Like, why are we doing that? Because like, the larger narrative is more important, and he wants to show you what he's doing so that you don't so quick to throw other people under the bus. And they may do things that aren't good. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, you know, I'm not saying they're not, but, <laughs> but it's not up to us uh, to cut them off. When, when authority figures tell you something that you don't like, you discredit them or you slander them. That's a big one, right? Your boss comes to you, says something you don't like, instantly, like, you know, you just want to, like, smack them or you want to, like, spread slander gossip all around the place. Um, my daughter, the other day, I was playing. Um, or I was, they had a play date with a bunch of kids. And my daughter, this kid goes and hits her in the head with something. It was like a phone or something, but it wasn't like a real phone. It was like a play phone. And she's like, you see the look on her face? And then the other kid just runs off. She goes and grabs another toy, and she's running behind her, like, literally about to smack her right in the head. I'm like, hey, stop. Don't do it. Hey. And she puts it down, and she's like, drops it. I'm like, man, we need our Heavenly Father all the time because that's how we react. That's how, the, that's how our flesh can get the best of us. We need God to just be like, hey, don't do it. Don't, throw that, don't hit that kid in the head with a, with a toy. You're going to regret it. <laughs> but she listened to me. Praise God. All right. Um, ver, uh, last point, last point. This is a quick one, but it's an important one. Find spiritual moms and dads. I mean, this is what we're talking about the conference, right? So this is, this is so key. And I'm going to read one verse, and then I'm going to close. Um, and it's connected with Paul and Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. And this is Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And Timothy, he entrusted with a lot. He entrusted him um, with F the church of Ephesus, which is a really important church. They're going through a lot of challenging things. He sends Timothy to, to reinforce, to exhort and lift up that church. And I want you to read, this is, this is how a spiritual mom or dad speaks to their son. 
and this is, and as you read it, just think of yourself as one or the other, right? You can be either because God's raising up spiritual moms and dads that, you know, they're not that old, but he's raised them up. He's also raising up sons and daughters that know how to receive and come under leadership and thrive in Jesus. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You need spiritual moms and dads to stay on your narrative. You need it. You need it. It is essential. It's not like, I hope I have one. You need that. Timothy, Timothy actually says he had like some fear and a lot of stuff, but Paul believed in him. He put him in a, with a prominent church, and he invested in him. He laid hands on him. He says he prayed for him like daily, crying out for this man. That is a powerful picture, and it's one for you to be a son and daughter and for you to do that for somebody else. That is how we're going to actually steward revival, when we've got people that know how to be sons and daughters and moms and dads, and you may be both at the same time. You probably will be. So that is, that's how revival can really happen. I, I really believe that. Um, and I love how the sincerity of how he speaks to Timothy and also the fact that he knows the details of Timothy's life. So how does he know that, right? How does he know? He knows all his, you know, he knows his family. He knows the prophetic words on his life. Timothy wasn't just somebody to prop up Paul's ministry. He knew the calling on Timothy's life as well, and he was believing for that. It's not this corporate thing of, oh, you now you're going to come and take over, you know, dad's business and we're going to run this thing. No, it's like you're fulfilling this larger call, this larger narrative, and I know what you've been called to, and I want to see it come into fruition. That's what spiritual moms and dads do. It's how they operate. And how does he know it? I think he knows it because of it. it's a two-way street. I believe he's asking the questions, and I believe the sons and daughters are actually coming and saying, here's what I'm called to do. They're entrusting the moms and dads with some of the destiny and purpose on their life. And that can be a vulnerable thing but it's essential. It's so important. All right. Worship team, could you guys sneak one up here? Um, So I I think it's so key that we take the time to understand other people's narratives. So the narrative of this church, you should take the time to understand the narrative of this church, why God's called us here. And some of you are newer, and we're going to have time to sit down with you and talk through what that looks like. People beside you on the left and the right, understand their narrative. What has God given them? How do you connect with them? That's what the affinities groups are all about, too. It's bringing together people that have some similar narratives so that they can work together to see the kingdom of God move in this city in certain areas, certain spheres. So it's so key that we take that time and we don't miss because you actually are a key part in somebody else's narrative. You play a key role in their narrative. Isn't that cool? Like, it's, uh, it's good. All right, so I want to, if I could stand up, I'm just going to pray a few things, and um, we're going to close with a time of worship here. So Father God, we thank you, we thank you Holy Spirit that you are in this place. We thank you God for your move, we thank you and Holy Spirit, come and move afresh, come and move afresh. Let the words that you've been speaking inside hearts right now, bubble to the top. Let them not forget. Let them not forget. Seal those words. Holy Spirit, we thank you, Lord. Would you grow us, God? Would you grow us in our love for Jesus? We ask that you would grow us, that you would strengthen our hearts and our inner man, that we would love Jesus more today. Father, would you give us even more desire for you because you desire us. You delight in us. Father, we pray that you would expose any false pursuits of our heart. Anything we've been lured into that's not life-giving, that's not of you, that's wearing us out. Would you expose any fear of man in our hearts? God, we break off the fear of man. We break off 
any selfishness that has crept in, Father, that tries to distort our vision, that, that would war against the narrative you've given us. God, we lay that. We cast all our cares on you because you care for us. God, show us the eternal things that are worthy of our pursuits. Show us, Father, what you're doing through us in this city, in this community, in the nations, God. We ask that you come and replace. Come and replace that fear of man with a, with a fear of God. Come and replace those temporal pursuits with eternal, the eternal rewards that are worth our time. They're worth our effort. God, we pray that you would cut us with your word. Cut through all the lies, all the deceitful doctrines, God, that we've been taught. Cut through, Father, all the broken relationships that have distorted our view of you and others. God, help us to trust you afresh. Help us to trust other people. And, Father, we pray you would connect us with spiritual moms and dads. We pray you would help us to be sons and daughters. We pray you would guide us, Lord, to those that we're supposed to father and mother to see them raised up, to be a part of their narrative, to speak life and truth into their heart, to encourage and exhort them to fulfill your plans and purposes on the earth.